welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? We had to come back just a few days after we recorded last week's episode to give your Tampa Bay Bucks their proper due. They're going to Super Bowl, what is it, 55? 55 in Tampa. In First Tampa. team to host a Super Bowl in their own stadium. I'm hyped, man. I'm super hyped. Of course, the year that happens, we got 20% capacity uh, or you know 25% capacity. And so we won't see as many Bucks fans in there as we, as we normally would have. But I was always curious if this ever happened, how they would divvy up the fans, right? Because usually the Super Bowl and in general, all these major events are so corporate. I don't know how many real fans are actually in the building, but I think because of the just total overall capacity, 75,000 at Raymond James, whatever, I think it would have been a pretty big home field advantage had this been a normal a normal season. It could have. I mean, there's 22,000 fans, uh, right. 7,500 of which are vaccinated healthcare workers. 22,000, That you're looking at, um, you know, if I'm doing the math right, close a little bit above 30% capacity. But the thing is, even if it, even if it was a full stadium, you're just not going to get a lot of hometown fans. The Super Bowl is just so many different kinds of people buying that ticket. Um, this year, tickets are even in higher demand, given that it's Brady, Mahomes, and uh, just supply is so low. The supply is low, uh, and so I never had dreams of going to the Super Bowl. But um, what I would have done if it wasn't for COVID is I definitely would have flown to Tampa and just been around my people because. No one here gives a shit about the Bucks, and so that that is one thing I'm going to miss out. Just the atmosphere, being there with fellow Bucks fans, with the Super Bowl right next door. So uh, what are we looking at here? Hold on a second. Let me get on StubHub. Me and you, we could do sixty nine hundred each. That's quite appropriate. Uh, sixty nine hundred upper deck corner three hundred three. If you want in, I might be in. Yeah, and and with all the the people in Florida who comply very well with COVID mask regulations. Um, I'm not well, taking my chances. They're able and, to host a Super Bowl. Yeah, they're able to host a Super Bowl. But I mean, if it was up to them, they would have opened up the whole thing. I will say this. I've always I've always said that if we, my team got to the Super Bowl, I would not want to go to the Super Bowl and watch it. Because I think it's more fun to watch with all your boys, watch with the audio, hear Get the experience of this rural party. If I'm in Raymond James Stadium by myself, cheering on the Bucks, and then they lose, think about how just devastating that would be. Think that's about the, how but that's the logic that to not be. go to any big game. No, you, but this is you want. But like you're also sitting up in like some you know yeah. obscure section, not a great view of the game. Like it's just not the same experience. The key is being there, like you said, for the Super Bowl parties, for all of the hoopla, for like just kind of meeting people, walking around, especially when it's in a warm weather city like Tampa, right? Like when yep. they played Super Bowls in Minnesota and and Indianapolis and, um, you know, even the one in New York several years ago, those have less of an appeal because it's February and you're freezing your ass off. And at least in Tampa, you're on the beach, you're doing different things. It's actually probably the perfect situation. It'd be a straight party. I'd take a whole week off. You know, you'd bookend the Super Bowl with a weekend maybe in Miami. Then you have all the hoopla around Super Bowl in Tampa during the week, you know, and then you go to the game or not go to the game, but at least watch the game with the locals and it would be a perfect week. Yeah. All right. So where we last left off, we both picked the Packers. Uh, We picked the Packers and the Chiefs thinking it was a Rodgers versus Mahomes Super Bowl. Uh. Let's talk about the Packers-Bucks game first, and then we'll pivot to Bills-Chiefs. So with the Packers-Bucks, I think everybody is going to obviously point to the the fourth and goal that Matt LaFleur decided to kick a field goal on, right? And then, you know, coming down, the Bucks are able to run the clock out because of the pass interference call and whether or not that was valid given the way the rest of the game was called. I actually think I want to start here. We could take this in any direction. I want to start here. I don't even think that was the main point of the game or why the you know the, the Bucks won. I think you think about the two picks that uh, Brady threw that were immediate three and outs for the Packers, right? Didn't even get to move the ball such that he threw those picks pretty deep into Packers territory. So they weren't yeah. even able to do the minimum of switch the field. 
They literally did nothing. The other thing I think that people haven't really been talking about is there's two drives that they had first and goal inside the 10. The first mm-hmm. drive, they, they threw to Devontae Adams three times. He dropped the first. The second was batted down. And the third, Rodgers missed a wide-open Lazar right in front of the end zone to go deep to, to Adams. The second was that last drive. So it's not just that, uh, you know, that they didn't go for it on fourth down. That plus the previous drive was six incompletions from Rodgers inside the 10 in an area where he's normally totally money. And I think that in itself was the biggest factor that that led to the the Packers losing. I think the Bucs played well, right? The defense obviously came to play. They they made it uncomfortable for Rodgers. You could not run on them, just like they pretty much shut down the run game all season. And they got in the backfield, JPP, uh, Shaq Barrett. But I think if Rodgers just converts some of the plays that he had previously made all season, even against good defenses like the Bucs, I actually think the Packers win this game. And I think the fact that they didn't is, you know, testament to the bend but don't break mentality, but also, um, you know, the fact that when the Bucs were put in those positions to convert, they came up with massive, massive plays. Brady was dropping dimes, especially in the first half, and that ended up being the difference. Yeah, the story was the Bucks defense, and they they confused Rodgers a lot in that second half. They were throwing different kinds of coverages at him. Um, and But the pressure really is what made it so difficult. They got pressure up front with their front four. Like I said, they would need to. I think everyone knew they needed to get pressure with with four. You couldn't – with a quarterback like Rodgers, you can send the guy in to blitz. But if you send in – you can't send in house blitzes. He'll – you know, he's nimble enough to kind of evade the pressure, find mm-hmm. the open man. Um, but the great thing about what we were able to do is get pressure up the middle with Vita Vea. And that was a huge addition. No one knew how he would look after being gone with that ankle injury for so long. And he looked almost a hundred percent. He was moving the pocket, collapsing it on Rogers. And that's when the edge pressure can kind of set in and get to him. And so because of Vita Vea coming back, that's why JPP, that's why Shaq Barrett were able to get to Rogers, make his life difficult. And the corners, they balled out, man. They played tight, physical, man-to-man defense. A lot of people complaining about how handsy they were. But look, this was a game where they were letting things go. And uh, Rodgers made a few critical mistakes. Like the the interception he threw, um, the difference between his interceptions and Brady's interception, or his interception and Brady's three picks, like you said, were Brady's weren't backbreaking. That pick set up the eventual Scotty Miller touchdown, which – made this game a very different game. 21-10 going into halftime, eventually 28-10. But the story is really the Bucks defense, man. They've always been a unit that's um, had a lot of talent, but they've been very inconsistent all year. And, and I think this is the first time they put together two just amazing performances back-to-back. Can we – you have to acknowledge, though. Are you going to sit here and tell me that you don't acknowledge there was a clear hold on that pick, the Rodgers pick? Do yeah, you really there, think there was, there was not. There was definitely a little bit of a hold, but they they were letting that go all game. So, do you reconcile? How do you reconcile that with the last play? Because it wasn't much more egregious than that. The last play, the 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 I don't remember who the receiver was. If it was Scotty Miller or number eighteen, right, was the guy who was being thrown to. He flopped, so it looked more egregious. But that was probably about the same level of hold. So that's why. I don't disagree that that pick was a backbreaker because they had a chance to actually score points and they were going to go two for instead Brady hit comes back with the, you know, the 60 yard bomb or the 50 yard bomb to Scotty Miller. But I felt like I was surprised they didn't call that because it felt like he propelled himself forward in a way that um, was basically because he was able to grab onto his Jersey. Um, But to your point about the defense and locking up, I thought they did an excellent job on Devontae Adams, right? Who, um, was having his way all season, including the previous week with with um, Jalen Ramsey. Hold up. I'm not going to let you get off that topic so easily. That play at the end, it was a completely different than everything else you're talking about. All the other hand-checking, the, the tugs that the Bucks defenders were doing, the Packers defenders were doing, that's not the same as a bladed jersey pull where the defender, literally Kevin King is switching hands um, and doing it right in front of the ref, like no matter when they call it, if the flag was late or whatever, you have to call that every single time. Doesn't matter if you were refing it very closely, you know, for the rest of the game. When it's that blatant, you can't swallow the whistle. And so I had no problem with that call. And I think people complaining about it are just looking for a reason to complain. 
It's not about, no, hold on a second. It's not about looking for a reason to complain. It's about the fact that even if it's a little bit more blatant than some of the other stuff, even if it's 10% more of a penalty, it was 50%. Not but you have to remember, if it was 50% more, the flag would have been thrown right away, but it wasn't. The flag was thrown late after the flop, after some conversation, after a bunch of yelling from the Bucks players. So it wasn't necessarily like a slam dunk. This is an automatic PI, the way we saw like the New Orleans Rams playoff game from years ago. This was clearly something that they were thinking about. The flop sold them. And <laughs> when you go back and look, yes, is it a little bit more egregious than the others? Sure. But the fact that it wasn't called right away means what? That the refs were inclined to keep the flag in their pocket. And the fact that they didn't, when they had been calling the game a certain way of the previous 59 and a half minutes, I think is telling to, to the fact that you have to, you know, it's almost like a, a, a pitcher who's trying to figure out what the strike zone is going to be on a given night. You know, the umpire's letting everything go in and around the plate, and suddenly they have a, a, you know, a ball in tight, and they call it a ball. So this is the problem when, when you have these judgment calls. If you're not going to be consistent game to game, fine. At least be consistent within a game so players can get accustomed to how they're being officiated. But you don't know why the ref pulled out the flag late. He could have been looking to another ref for confirmation. He could have been struggling to get it out of his pocket, man. Like, you can't be like, speculating that, oh, they're processing this and being struggling like, oh, crap, I should out. probably throw this. Yeah, First you know, sometimes all, it's jammed in there. It takes them a while to get it out. Like, that, yeah, that's one of the reasons. Yeah, hands are cold. It's in Lambo. It's been yeah. out there for four hours. I'm, I'm not even is, kidding. That's the reason why flags get thrown late sometimes. The other thing is, though, why was the back judge the one even calling it? The, the, they got a side judge who's clearly in, in direct view. They have the guy who's standing by the linebackers, and he's right there. Yet the back judge, who's 30 yards behind, you know, ahead of the play, is like, I'm the one that's, that's able to make this call. It doesn't make any sense. And I'll give you that it was a penalty. I'm not arguing. <laughs> I think I texted you right after saying that that was the worst call I'd ever seen in NFL history. So I'm backing <laughs> off from that level of statement. But at the same time, I really, really wonder if they had to go back and do it again without the benefit of the flop from uh, from the Bucks oh. receiver, would they have called it? Because he, he launched himself, right? Kyle Lowry would have been impressed by that. <laughs> you got to let go of the flop, man. It doesn't. The flop didn't have anything to do with it. Also, I don't like those damn screen grabs, you know, that show the, the level of shirt. The, those shirts, they the, those undershirts come with your hand as soon as you touch them. It's like magnetic almost. <laughs> it really has nothing to do with the level of pull. That thing was stretched like four – like the defender was four feet away from him, and all that was between them was the shirt that's been stretched. It's like those screenshots when, like, you hate a quarterback, so you find the one angle of a pass <laughs> that he didn't make when the player yeah. was wide open. But then you were like, wait a second, when I saw that pass, it did not look that open. It's like, no, you have to view it exactly from this angle in this split second. That's the only way it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Like that Packers fans have to get over it because I thought that was that was the right call. And you know what? At the end of the day, they had so many other chances to win yeah. this game. Look, the better team won. I will say that. Um, I think that they were the Bucks were more prepared, they were more aggressive. I think they capitalized on the Packers' mistakes more than vice versa. I thought that they made timely throws. Like, even early on, I saw a crazy stat that was, like, their average yards gained on first, second, and third down. And it was, like, first and second down were both under two yards. Yep. And then third down was, like, 12 yards. And so if you're the Packers and you're looking back at this game and you say, well, we didn't get to Brady, right? And we couldn't get them off field on third and long. So that's really just on us. Um and the other thing that I thought was, you know, they, they only really gave up 24 points, kind of, if you think about it. Like, the Aaron Jones fumble, I think, put the Bucks was it within the 10-yard line? Yep. So, it wasn't like they were getting shredded. Obviously, they tightened up in the second half, but they couldn't make key stops on third down all game right up until the end. Yeah. I mean, Green Bay's defense played pretty well, but I think... The one story that's not being told enough is you, you look at Brady and you look at Rodgers, and on paper, Rodgers had what looks like a better game. Mm -hmm. uh, Brady threw three picks. Uh, Rodgers, you know, three touchdowns, only one pick. Um, but I think when you actually dig, when you watch the game and you look at the critical situations they both played in, and then you look at some of the advanced stats uh, in terms of EPA, um, Brady performed better. Uh, in terms of QBR, which is a stat I don't like or love, really, um, Brady was better. So with all these contextual stats, uh, Brady ends up faring better. And when you think about the picks, right, those picks 
where uh, the one that he was essentially a punt on the third one to Mike Evans, he had a defender coming free at him. He launched it up knowing that, okay, maybe it's a 50-50 ball, but at worst, they they get the ball at the 20-yard line. We've essentially punted it, which we would have done next down anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, versus the Rodgers pick, where much more consequential in terms of right before the half, near the 50-yard line, put us in position to eventually score with Scotty Miller. And it's these kinds of plays that separate Rodgers and Brady. And when when people talk about, you know, oh, Rodgers never has the defense or the supporting cast and this and that, a lot of times that's been true. But when you look at the disparity of Brady going to 10 Super Bowls and Rodgers only going to one, it's not all fully explained by the fact that Brady's had better teams. It It is because in situational football, Brady makes a lot of smart decisions and knows the risk-reward trade-offs. And sometimes totally, yeah. Rodgers, right? Like he, I mean, like you said, those goal-to-go situations, he didn't come through. He had the opportunities. And yeah, the Bucks defense gets a lot of credit, but... Ultimately, sometimes if you're the MVP of the league, if people want to anoint you as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, you have to make at least some of those plays, especially when the Bucs are just begging you to score on them in the second half. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think I have long been a Rodgers fan uh, for his talent, and I've long been a Peyton Manning fan for his talent over guys like Tom Brady, right? Not guys like over Tom Brady. And a large part of that was just general envy of Boston sports and Bill Simmons and all that shit. But a big part of it was me really being like, well, he's had built in advantages that other guys haven't had. And, you know, whether that's Belichick, whether that's the defense, the strong defense. And I think some of that can be true without ignoring your point, which is like, okay, but he's never making the wrong play. So how are you factoring that in? Right. He's never screwing up everything else that's happening around him. And it goes far past being a game manager because obviously he owns a ton of records and he, he morphed from that game manager into a stat stuffer, which I think was a transition. A lot of people probably didn't expect him to make, including myself, but yeah, I mean, look, 10 Super Bowls to one Super Bowl can only be partially explained by circumstance. In fact, it could probably mostly not be explained by that at some point in a different system, in a different conference, you're 43 years old. You're still able to go on the road for three straight games. Uh, you know, you're not Mahomes level play, but you beat Breeze, you beat Rodgers in their buildings, right? Which are supposed to be fortresses. And so if all this continues to happen, then what's going to be the case for Rodgers now? Or what's going to be the excuse for Rodgers now? Um, and again, you could still point to this game and be like, well, he threw for 350 yards and three scores. What more do you want? And it's like, no. well, you have to actually go back and watch, right? Um, I'll tell you now, as a uh, fan of the team that employs Russell Westbrook, I'm <laughs> learning quite a lot about what stats do and don't mean. And I've never seen a emptier triple-double in my life than what I'm watching night to night with the Wizards, right? And so obviously Rodgers is not there. He's the MVP of the league. But the idea being that there's more than just, hey, what did the box score say um, and what did his season stats say versus, you know, you had the opportunity with the game on the line and you had three straight incompletions inside the 10. So what does that account for? Yeah. And and I make this argument, you know, not to necessarily diminish Rodgers because, look, he, he was playing a great defense. It was a tough game. Um, he still did pretty well. It, it's more to elevate what I think Brady's game really was about. Um, and, you know, he played lights out in the first half and. He struggled a bit in the second half, but did not struggle so much that it was costing the team. And I think it's those little subtle things that that make him so good um, and allow his teams to win games like this. I think um, and maybe this is just kind of the transition point to the to, to the topic of Brady, you know, but like I was kind of thinking about this in terms of and I know you have a bunch of thoughts on the parallels with uh with LeBron, right, who's kind of doing the same thing in another league in terms of just sustained excellence. Um, and before we get there, I got to actually, actually do this. How – so you're 32, right? So the last time the Bucks won a, Super, uh, won a playoff game was the Super Bowl in 2002, right? So you were uh, yep. 14 at the time – or 13 at the time. 13, yeah. So, so 19 years you've had – approximately how many quarterbacks who would rank in the top 10 in a given season? I'd say zero. Yeah. Oh, definitely zero. In terms of like, if you were ranking the top 10 quarterbacks that year, 
how many seasons would a Bucks guy be in the top ten? I mean, I mean, Josh Freeman did have that one season of 25 <laughs> touchdowns and six picks, but <laughs> and how many lines of coke? Yeah, that that's another story. But yeah. I kid. But so so, how do you feel going from just purgatory to suddenly being like Brady chooses Tampa Bay? He's flush with weapons. Uh, he's going to come down here and you get the greatest of all time just dropped in your lap. Even at the age of 43, when a lot of people thought he was done, he immediately comes out and throws for 40 touchdowns. It's it's weird. It, it happens so suddenly. Um, so it's like I can't even – I haven't really processed it, I think, because usually you know, teams go through some sort of um, – you know, you become good, you become a contender, you might lose one year, it takes you another year or two to win. Rarely do you see a team go from a losing record to just instant Super Bowl appearance. I mean, I mean, there have been cases like the Niners last year went from losing record to instant Super Bowl appearance, but there were so many more changes that happened. This was the mm-hmm. same roster, same franchise. Uh, you know, yeah, you can same say Gronk, but same coaching staff and and a 43 year old Brady. Right now we look at it differently, but he was coming off a season where his numbers were down across the board. Um, he had thrown a pick six to end the game against the Titans where they lost in the wild card round. Mm-hmm. So I'll be honest, when we signed him, I was like, oh, great. We'll, we'll get nine to 10 wins. You compete for a playoff spot and, and that'll be good. You know, um, I'll be happy to make the playoffs in no world. Did I dream we were going to go to the Super Bowl? So it is quite the shock to go from 19 years since your last playoff win to now reeling three straight off uh, on the road to a Super Bowl appearance. What's crazy is like, you could argue that even up to like week 13, 14, you could say the Bucks were going to top out at nine, 10 wins and a yeah. maybe a playoff win or so too. Right? Like when they had gone through, they lost to the Bears, they lost to the Rams, they had a close one against the Giants, they lost to the Saints twice. You know, other than that Packers, they lost to the Chiefs. Other than the Packers win, it didn't feel like they had this marquee win on their resume. And so they come into the playoffs, and even there's people like me who are like, you know, maybe Washington can give them a battle. <laughs> I don't know. It's like you, you, you could argue the NFC wasn't at its strongest this year, but he's inevitable. He's Thanos. Uh, he, he is. And there's a lot of revisionist history that happens. Um, uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, going into Washington, people were saying they I mean, no, everyone thought the Bucs would win, right? But they'd give us some trouble. They didn't. Then they said, oh, they can't beat New Orleans. They have to go into New Orleans. But after we beat them, it becomes Breeze was washed. That team was never that good. <laughs> then yeah. they say we can't beat the, the Packers. Then we go and beat them. And then they say, well, Kevin King's been god-awful. That defense disappointed Rodgers again. So, then you know, it, it's just one of those things where – and this is why one of the parallels to LeBron, among the many others, is where the goalposts keep moving with this guy. Um, and it's just incredible how he continues to surpass expectations. Yeah, so you brought up LeBron, and the number one thing that I find uh, as they both age, uh, you know, Brady's now been in the league, I think this is his 21st season, uh, Mm -hmm. or 20th season, and and for LeBron, it's his 18th, so they started nearly the same year, they both had a phenomenal amount of success, and are in the conversation for greatest of all time, Um, but I think the number one thing outside of all of that, that that's just funny watching them progress, is you start to see them supersede uh, the people who came right before them, right? So for for LeBron, it was like when he became greater than Kobe, when he became greater than Duncan, et cetera. And with Brady, it was like the same thing with Manning and Bledsoe and Favre and some of those early mid-90s, late-90s QBs. Then they start kind of outlasting their peers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for LeBron, it's like, okay, Wade's out, or Melo's a different version of himself. Dwight Howard's a role player, and... Uh, you know, Pau Gasol, yeah, I mean, whoever those guys were early 2000s, and the same with Brady. Now what's starting to happen is they're outlasting their uh, the next generation. Like, yep. like I just mentioned, Westbrook is totally done. LeBron is still chugging along, right? Or, or even like um, Kevin Love's a different version of himself, and or or even uh, I guess other guys that. Derrick Rose isn't the same player. These are all guys that came after him that had this up to the same level of success, and now they falter back again. And with Brady, it's like, okay, Matt Ryan is kind of washed, or maybe even Matt Stafford is a little different. Aaron Rodgers is like, you know, on his last couple of years. And it's amazing to watch them just stay consistent while 
you see the ebbs and flow of all these superstars around them, but nobody can get to that level nearly as long and, and becoming more evident by the day. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they transcend eras. Um, they have a new challenger every year, right? With Brady, it starts off with, um, I guess, Manning early in his career. Then you're talking, talking about Rodgers, um, Breeze at one point, and now it's Mahomes. <laughs> and now, I mean, no one's arguing that Brady is still the best player in the league. But look, if he wins the Super Bowl and outduels Mahomes, like that says, I mean, even if he doesn't win, if he keeps up with Mahomes, like this, this is insane. To be 20 years older, I think Mahomes was in kindergarten when Brady um, first won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Like, it's it's unreal, and these guys keep doing it. And um, sh- should I dive into my LeBron uh, Brady comps right now, or let's hear? Are you going to be able to control yourself, or do we have to no. close so, you down halfway through this? So okay, <laughs> maybe there there are a lot of obvious parallels, right, in terms of the longevity, um, the appearances in ga- finals games, right? Yeah, of course. LeBron is four and six in 10 games, uh, 10 finals appearances. Brady is going to be either six and four, seven and three. So they differ in terms of how many they've won. But the fact that they're always there in it, there's there's a comp right there. Um, they're both culture setters. And and this what I mean by that is, look, when LeBron went to the Lakers, when LeBron went to the Cavs, Yes, he he got a couple of of pieces to help him out. Kyrie and Love, uh, Lakers. Anthony Davis is huge, but think about the rest of those rosters and how we got them to buy in, how he got them to kind of play at a completely different level with that first Cavs team. How he got useful minutes out of J.R. Smith, who you know his whole career um, always been a talented player, but never contributed to winning basketball. Now J.R. Smith is a key defensive piece, guarding Clay Thompson, um, switching on to Steph, right? Getting the best out of the rest of his roster. And the same thing with the Lakers, where you have Rondo, you have Dwight, you have all these guys who are kind of at the point in their career where they're not really doing much, and yet they contribute to a championship team. And Brady is the same kind of culture setter, tone setter that that LeBron is. And we've never seen him get to do it outside of New England. He, We've seen him do it in New England year after year with different teammates. But this is the first year, you know, we saw, okay, Outside Belichick, outside that system, outside what's been working for 20 years, can he do that with a new team? And he has. Like, this yeah. whole team has been uplifted. This whole team, which has been afflicted by losing for so many years. There are a lot of guys on this roster who've been around Levante David, Mike Evans, seven, eight years of never making the playoffs. And they're playing at a different level, and it's because of Brady. And so both these guys are kind of transformative in the way they can go to any franchise yeah. and flip it around. And I don't think – any like. Could MJ do that? Maybe. Could Manning do that? I mean, Manning kind of did that with Denver, right? But they had a lot more help. And and I think the one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is is just how, um, you know, Brady and LeBron are, they're such cerebral players that they really kind of, despite declining athleticism, because even LeBron's been declining in athleticism, um, right. despite that, they're able to get the best out of their teammates and they're able to still play smart enough to play winning uh, football or basketball. Yeah, I mean, so first to address the pot shot, you just took a Jordan. They he did do that, right? Because the Chicago Bulls in the early to mid '80s were kind of a clown show. So let's just nip that in the bud right there. But I think your point is valid because, and even the last point you made about the declining athleticism—that's another funny thing that I was going to bring up—is they both look worse than they looked at their peaks, and they're still the best players in the game. You know, or at least for Brady, not the best, but in that in that realm. For LeBron, I mean, you saw what he did against Cleveland uh, two nights ago or last night where he had 46. Um, and so I think I think it's – and the culture center point is, is also valid because we talked about this, I think, in regards to how many players in the league could actually go be who they ended up being regardless of the situation, right? And I think you, we were talking about Kawhi and maybe he wasn't going to be the same guy if he didn't go to San Antonio – and it's also it's a hard way to evaluate draft misses because that assumes that they were going to somehow come to your shit organization and figure it out in a way that they you know nobody else has. Yep. And there's only very few players that um, are really greater than the organization or greater than the ecosystem. And and both of these dudes are. And you know one of the things I was thinking about is Brady never got any of that credit, right? Because it was always the Patriot way and Bill Belichick and all this kind of thing and 
you know, he was the most important cog, but still always kind of billed as a cog in the system in some ways. And I think mm-hmm. that had a lot to do with him leaving. Of course, LeBron doesn't have that because he's the most famous athlete in the world. And there's a little bit of difference in the way NBA players are, are treated. But I think for Brady, it's like, wait a second. Like, I am as much, if not more, a part of this as, as Bill is. And, you know, he comes to Tampa and has this plethora of weapons. But like you said, guys who have never played in meaningful NFL moments, um, and it's a lot harder when you're playing in Lambo and it's 20 degrees than when you're playing in Atlanta in, in September and you just have yep. to score 35. Um, the second thing I thought of as I've watched the Bucks all season is we, we always thought about Brady as this dink and dunker to the West Welkers, Amendolas, uh, Edelmans of the world. Imagine if he just had these kind of downfall threats his whole career, what his numbers might have looked like or what his production might have looked like. Um, aside from the two years with Randy Moss, he really never got a chance to um, play with this many downfield options. Yep. Um, and so at the age of 43, if he's making it work, it's kind of like if LeBron had linked up with AD 10 years earlier, what would that have been like? So, um, no, I think both guys are, are kind of making us rethink how we evaluate um, aging in athletes, but also because of who they are, you almost have to throw it out, right? Because who's going to be able to replicate this? Okay, Brady has TB12 is some fucking crazy supplement-based system that I don't even understand. I'm not sure if it's FDA-approved or whatever, but the way he trains, the way he treats his body, the way he does all these things, who's going to be able to do that? You you pick one guy, maybe. It's not like you can just pencil Baker Mayfield in for 20 more seasons in the NFL. It's it's rare. It's very rare. And, you know, all the talk about Mahomes, too, like the other parallel I do want to talk about is the Super Bowl, which is Brady versus Mahomes, reminds me a lot of the 2016 NBA Finals, where it's the Warriors versus the Cavs. And the Warriors are the Chiefs. You know, so 2016, they're coming off a championship, like the Chiefs coming off a Super Bowl win. The new darling of the league is Steph Curry, um, you know, just like Pat Mahomes. And uh, he is kind of anointed as the next the next big thing. And and LeBron is on the declining side, right? He's not in the middle of his prime, similar to Brady right now. Um, but they just joined a new team, a team on the, or a franchise that uh, has struggled. Um, you know, Cleveland was not a winning franchise. Tampa Bay is not a winning franchise. Brought them to this moment. And then ultimately, LeBron was able to win. We'll see what Brady can do. But, um, like, I, I think it's... It's just crazy how uh, there are this many parallels between the two. And then the other point you brought up is the the bo- like the fact that they keep their bodies like in tip top shape. Like right. you can talk about the weird the pseudoscience behind TB12, but whatever it is, it's working. And for LeBron, obviously he's um, that's what separates him from everyone else. And w- with a guy like Mahomes, with a guy like Steph, right, Steph. It, it's hard to stay that good for that long. Injuries hit, um, you know, your your window closes. And with Mahomes, we're already seeing a little bit of the injuries kind of hit him this season. And you hope that he can continue to stay upright and not take too many hits over his career and have that 20-year career. But nothing is given. And so you got to appreciate it when we do see that um, with these longer careers. Yeah, it's actually a great point with, with um, the Chiefs. You know, maybe this is a good point of transition to Chiefs' bills here for a second is – they have kind of been playing, um, you know, they've been playing possum a little bit all season, right? Where they look dominant for stretches and then they go back to, to sort of playing a little bit more underwhelming. Like even the Bucks game that they had earlier this year, um, they put up 24 in the first quarter. Um, and 17. Only winning, oh, they were kicking the Bucks' ass. At the 17-0. Ty- Tyreek Hill had 200-something yards in the first half. And they ended First, up only yeah. winning by three. It was uh, not how you expected that game to go. And so they finally put together that four-quarter just ass-kicking um, of a very, very good Buffalo team. And Mahomes has been in the dream situation from the start of his career, right? Getting to sit for a year behind Alex Smith, having Andy Reid, who's maybe one of the best offensive minds ever, uh, Tyreek. Kelsey, who he's obviously elevated, but those guys were very good before. At least Kelsey, especially, was was very good with Smith as well. Um, and they're, you know, definitely the best tight end in the league, probably a top five wide receiver in the league. And, 
you wonder, similar to Steph in that Warriors run, is what happens when the talent uh, dis, uh, dilutes a little bit because of salary cap or other issues? How how good can he be to overcome all of that? Now, I think Mahomes' chance to go down is one of the two or three greatest players ever. Um, I think he's trending in that direction, but you never know when he's in a tougher situation. Uh, for Brady, that was seven years in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where he didn't win a Super Bowl. Right. But he, they were still competitive. They were still able to retool. Um, you know, obviously, there's a big coaching element there, big drafting element before before their talent pool went down the shitter. But how do you make it when you're not just stacked across the board? And I'll be interested to see how that happens with Mahomes, because you see it right now with Steph where he looks great and they're playing 500 ball. Yeah, I mean, they, they're going to come up against uh, cap issues. You know, how are you going to keep all these guys? Um, the, what makes the Chiefs really unique is the speed. McCole Hardiman, Tyreek Hill, um, and then obviously Kelsey, who's just a, a game changer on his own. But in three years, four years, the makeup of that team is going to look very different. And um, right now they look unstoppable. And Mahomes is always going to be good. But I think, you know, is he going to have a Super Bowl contending roster every year? I don't know. Right. You can never predict that. Well, I think, you know, needless to say, let me ask you this, because this is going to be the second matchup for these two, right? And possibly, probably their last. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course it's possible we see a re- rematch next year, but honestly, if Brady wins, who knows? He could retire. We have no idea what's going to happen. But with the fact that they've already played once, it was an absolute classic. Patriots went up 31-0 in the AFC t- title game in 2018. Chiefs came all the way back to tie it. As we know, D Ford is offsides, and the Patriots ended up winning in overtime. If Brady wins this one again, I think it actually really, really hurts the Mahomes um, goat likelihood and almost makes it impossible. Because if the one guy you're chasing, you're 0-2 against, when you're in the prime of your career, he's in the late stages, and in this case, in his mid-40s, and you didn't beat him, you're not going to get another chance to. You're not going to get over that mountain. All the other Super Bowls, MVPs, stats you rack up are when he's out of the league. I actually think, as crazy as this sounds, if Mahomes' goal is to be number one all time, this is a legacy-defining moment in a way that it's not for Brady as crazy as it sounds to be 43 winning ring number seven. Yeah, I, I, I actually totally agree with you. I think the, because we people don't want to look at it as that career-defining moment because he's so young, but it's one of those things where if he loses this game 10 years from now when we're looking at Mahomes' career, it could be an inflection point, right? Right. Um, and it could be something that – it's it's like with all these guys, with Breeze, Rodgers, they won a Super Bowl early um, – and then they lose a critical game maybe a year or two later. And then at the time, you're like, oh, whatever. They have so many more years left. And then it never happens. So yep. if, if he loses to Brady, and then even if he does win a couple more Super Bowls later on, it, it's going to be harder to justify him in that larger picture conversation. Um, so it, although it, it it's crazy to start talking about his Mahomes' legacy now, I definitely think that this will be very impactful in terms of how it ultimately gets regarded. And the only reason we're talking about it is because it's just how great he is, right? He is. Oh yeah. I mean, we wouldn't care if he wasn't if he wasn't you know if he didn't have a chance to get to these heights. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be super. It, it would almost be like if LeBron came into the league in '97 and lost, or '96 and lost in the finals to Jordan. Yeah. You think Jordan stands are insufferable now? Imagine if the six and zero included beating LeBron in a finals, exactly. right? Yeah, it would. You could stack up ten titles; it wouldn't matter. Um, so, I, you know, society also sucks in general, as we know. Um, and it's so crazy the way the length of which we go to tear people down, to the point that now Mahomes is somehow on the uh, backside of of some negative press negative publicity just in terms of nothing like that he did but just more that he's overrated because of this perfect situation and they'll really because it shows that this literally goes to show you they'll come for anyone yeah. they waited <laughs> until steph choked on the 3-1 lead before they got him Mahomes hasn't even lost yet and they're like no this guy's out anybody can do this put tyler heineke there he's doing the same thing <laughs> yeah the worst thing for Mahomes would have been if chad henney 
Um, let's say he, for whatever reason, Holmes could have go last week. Yeah. And he played, and then they beat the Bills. You know, people were going to come out of the woodworks making that oh, argument. Sure. It's kind of like when, when Matt Castle went 11 and five. Uh, with the Patriots, it was a perfect opportunity for all the Brady haters to come and talk about Belichick and and why it's the, pa- the Patriots system that's making Brady great. Um, they did. So, they still do. 10, 12 years later. Yeah, they still do, right? So, yeah, man, it'll be it's it's gonna be very exciting. There's definitely more pressure. I don't know. It's weird because in one way, in one sense, there's less pressure on the Chiefs because they've already won a Super Bowl, but there's also more pressure on them because. The Bucks are playing with house house money. Um, yeah. No one's really thinking that they're gonna win, and Brady's you know he's forty three. Like they're already I happy. I can tell you right now, the Bucks are already happy just being there. They don't I care don't if they think, win. I agree. I don't think the Chiefs would have had more pressure if they were playing the Packers, who are also the one seed who have the MVP playing at the peak of his power. Still, it would have been a different perceived matchup. Yep. Against the wildcard Bucks with this aging QB, even though it is Brady, I think the Chiefs, as dominant as they've been for two, three seasons, are really just expected to win. And I, I'm telling you this right now, and we can talk about this again next week as, as we lead up to the game, but I will be shocked if the Chiefs lose. Um, and would you say this? I, just, I, I would be shocked if the Chiefs lose. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to say it. I know you try to. You don't have to play humble. You can pick the Bucks. You're, you know, you picked the Packers last week. That worked out. Feel free to pick the Bucks because that's what you want. But I personally would be very, very surprised if, if they weren't able to move the ball um, and kind of do what they wanted to do, just like they have against basically every other opponent in the playoffs. I will say this. I, I mean, we'll do our full preview next week. I. I do think the Chiefs are in a more favorable position. I feel more confident going into this game than I did going into Green Bay. Um, I feel more confident. Really? Because, look, the, yeah, the Chiefs, at the end of the day, the Chiefs are an amazing team, right? But they're not unstoppable. Like, as dominant as they've, as they've been, um, they're not unstoppable. The way to stop them is you need pressure on Mahomes, you need relatively tight coverage in the back, and then you need an offense that can put up points. The Bucks are erratic. They're not consistent. You're not going to get it from all three phases, any one game. But they have the highest, like their defense has a high ceiling. Their offense has a high ceiling. And their special teams is, is good enough. And if they all perform at the levels they sh- you know can perform at, they have a shot to win this game. Um, so I don't think they're going to get run out the building. Uh, and I, I actually feel more confident against them than I did against the, the Packers. Even yeah, though we lost time. to them and beat the Packers. So. Yeah, we'll see you what get happens. the home field at home cooking. Eric Fisher's out, mm. uh, so that's another big loss. So definitely have the recipe for a win. Um, I think Mahomes seems to be like the one guy who's proven to not falter when everybody else not named Brady has faltered. Um, and so if he's human, it could happen. If he's superhuman like Brady, maybe it doesn't. So. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I just can't wait to the week after the game to be discussing how, you know, when Brady got his helmet ripped off that that, you know, they should have let that go because they were letting all those plays go all game Yeah, because his oh. own offensive lineman probably <laughs> did it. Oh, by the way, I need to tell you this. You know how Brady's, like, basically his super superpower is is having just unbelievable, like, in-pocket mobility? Um, yeah. Never getting sacked, never getting hit, always releasing the ball at the right time? Yep. I've heard he wears a leg patch that buzzes when blindside pressure is coming. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm possibly going public with this. Oh my goodness! This is like the the LeBron, um, the people who say that LeBron's taking steroids. Uh, well, our, yeah. Our friend, our friend Nahal is a uh, very good at this, talking about how LeBron's. You know that picture came out with the crooked toes, um, and then he immediately said that's actually a symptom of HGH use, and he pulled out some article talking about, you know, some kind of. <laughs> deformation of toes that happens when you take H. Would, like, would it shock you is all I can say. <laughs> Look. It would. I, I All I know is Brady and Bill, they've cooked up every way possible uh, <laughs> to win, and I know he's brought some of those tactics down south. But anyway. I wish we were smart enough as a franchise to, to know how to, to win like that, but I don't think and, we are. Well, what do you think Arians meant when he's like, yeah, we just let Tom coach? <laughs> it wasn't the playbook, I'll tell you that much. Oh, yeah. um, 
All right, but congratulations. I'm happy for you as someone who's experienced a couple titles in recent years. I can tell you it's a lot of fun, especially as an adult. So while I don't actually hope that it happens for you, I would be happy if it did, I guess, just for you and really no one else. Thanks, man. I, I still appreciate that. <laughs> it's it's close enough to, uh, you know, being on your side here. But all right, let's switch to the NF- NBA. We're an NFL pod now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, we care about it more. It matters to us more. We bet on it. But we are going to talk a few minutes of NBA here. I think, you know, last week we talked about how teams are still sort of figuring themselves out. We are now over a quarter of the way into the season or just about at that quarter mark. Um, and so I figured it would be a good time to talk about the MVP race um, just in terms of, I think, a couple angles. One, you know, who stood out as those top tier candidates? I think we, we sort of know who those guys are. Uh, but there's also a gap sometimes between performance individually and team performance. And, you know, to, and then to the second point, who do we think might make a, a run into that top five, into the top three by season's end? So um, who do you think right now, and you don't need to rank if, you, if you're not ready to do so, but who do you, who do you think is kind of like that top five for you in terms of, um, you know, the top candidates? So I would, I would go Jokic number one. Uh, because you picked him yeah oh oh that's right huh i did pick him before the season very convenient wow wow i I totally forgot about that but yeah i mean he i think he's a clear-cut number one Embiid is number two lebron is number three Kawhi number four and durant number five now let me kind of just break down uh i'll talk about all the others but i want to talk about Jokic and kind of why he's my number one Mm -hmm. um look Jokic is having a great season uh, 25, 12, and nine uh, on you know good shooting, De- and the the challenge for Denver early on was they weren't winning, but they've won seven of the last nine. They're back into that top half of the Western Conference, yep. and when you look at the advanced metrics, right, win shares per 48, he's second, uh, leads the league in in VORP, um, he's second in PER, so he's he's near the top or at the top of all these advanced metrics. And he also leads in uh, B-Ball References MVP tracker with, I think, a 39% pos- probability, which is twice as high as the, the guy who's next. So um, he's having a great season. And and it's also, you know, the eye test when you watch the Nuggets play. I feel like we started seeing this in the playoffs, but more and more of the offense is running through him. They're dependent on him more than ever. Um, and, and we've talked about Jamal Murray and the frustrations with him sometimes. And so I think what he's doing is highly impressive. And, um, you know, Embiid's been good. All these other guys have been good. But I think Denver's ultimately going to end up as a top two or three team in the West. And if he keeps up these numbers, I think he deserves it. Yeah, I mean, I think I would just switch your top two uh, because Philadelphia is winning a little bit more. And and at this point of the season, I'm just looking at what's happened. They're first in the East. Um, which I think is going to be really important down the stretch. Um, you know, like you said, Denver is riding the ship, but if it's a coin flip and I think both guys have played flat out insane this season, then I'm going to give it to the guy who's won more. And if you look at Embiid, you know, you brought up the advanced stats. Who is Jokic second behind in win shares? He's behind Embiid. Embiid. Um, Embiid's, first, <laughs> yep, Embiid's first in PER. He's you know, top 10 in true shooting percentage. Everyone ahead of him except for one or two guys is a pretty low-volume shooter. Top 10 in free throw rate, number three, actually. Top 10 in rebound rate. So he's been pretty dominant across the board. And the other thing is, this team is way too reliant on a guy like Embiid when they have two other max players on their team. And that's not a good thing for their roster standpoint, but it is a good thing for his MVP candidacy. Because Ben Simmons has turned into a glorified Sean Marion at this point. <laughs> and and Tobias Harris is having a resurgent season, but he's still Tobias Harris. Um, he's still not going to be the guy that gives you that late-game offense, can create for you, can create for others. Seth Curry has been incredible, just like we thought, right? He's been an awesome addition, shooting, blistering from three, and sort of playing that mini J.J. Redick role. But I think everything still runs through a beat in a way that's – just very telling. And now that's not to say that the same isn't the case in Denver. Uh, Jamal Murray's been up and down. Michael Porter's been out. Um, Jokic has been the one constant. 
So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a coin flip. The question I'd have is, is there a reason why you'd have both of these two, one, two, and then LeBron three, or has he made his way into the top two potentially? And even in the top spot, just given how, how freaking good the Lakers look this season. Look, you know, I, I want to put LeBron at number one every year. Um, uh, but I, I think Jokic and Embiid should be recognized. Like the the MVP award ultimately is usually about the best regular season, um, and it's hard to deny how good you know Jokic and Embiid have been. Embiid, I would I do want to say like you know you're talking about how so much of the offense flows through him. It's impressive that you know he's shooting 40% from three. He's been uh, scoring quite a bit, and his usage rate is he's ninth overall usage. There's only one other center who appears in the top 20 for usage. Can you guess who that is? Um, is it Chris Boucher? <laughs> you and Chris Boucher. It's Andre Drummond, which I thought was funny at 11. Oh, no. Um, That's never a bad in my thing, life. actually. You don't want him <laughs> yeah. to be that high. You don't want him to be that high. But but my point is, you know, Embiid is super high in usage, uh, which is rare for a center. But they're winning because of it. He's playing well. The team is playing well. Uh, and so I think he deserves credit for that, especially because, like you said, Simmons has been providing nothing on offense this year. Um, and he's a I don't even know if Sean Marion's the right cop, but Sean Marion was a 20 point per game guy. He's looking more like Andre Karolenko, like giving you kind of yeah. filling up the box score um, and being a valuable contributor, but ultimately not that second banana you'd you'd hope for. Um, so, yeah, I think I think LeBron, though, has a great case. Look, he's blistering from three. Um, he just had a 46-point performance, and I think his biggest contribution is just how steady the Lakers have been. Um, yeah. In a season where all these teams are kind of up and down and, you know, some weird losses night to night, the Lakers have been super consistent. Anthony Davis is actually seems like he's coasting more than LeBron is at this point. Um, and I was just about to say that. We thought that it was LeBron who was going to take the yeah. back seat, leading the way for davis's mvp candidacy it's been the other yeah and so i i think you know if there's ever a time for a career achievement award this year when all the guys are like eh, yeah you, can, you can't really get that excited about a beat or Jokic. it's not you know super groundbreaking i think lebron has a really good shot and i think he knows that i think he's he knows that and he's gonna kind of gun for it if it gets close at the end of the year I think LeBron is is similar to, to to Brady in the notion of like he's really really focused on just shutting up the doubters mm-hmm. who have poked their heads out from every angle possible. And what he hasn't done in in seven eight years is actually win the MVP. Um, all four of his MVP titles actually came in those first uh, you know first ten years of his career. And while he's been playing at that level in the playoffs, he hasn't really done it start to finish in the regular season. And so now he's like, wait a second. If I'm the best player, I better be getting the hardware that comes along with it. Um, I Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, he's only playing 32 minutes a night, but in those 32 minutes, he's highly productive, and they're getting what they need to get uh, from from Trez and from Schroeder and some of those other guys that they added. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Durant uh, for a second. So I don't even think we're giving enough attention to – what he's doing yeah. post Achilles. Um, it is bewildering how well he's playing. I, you know, he, he tore his Achilles June, 2019. And so his first game was about, you know, 18 months after the fact, but to come back and literally be the same player. And, and in some cases, maybe even a better version, just in terms of shooting efficiency than he's ever been. It's beyond it's beyond any sort of description I can give. I'm floored by how good he looks. Durant, I I I don't think anyone could have predicted he'd look this good. Like no one. I don't think a single person predicted it. Uh, and I think the 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 sad part is it's going under the radar because the Nets just frankly haven't been consistent enough. And that's not yeah. his fault. Definitely not his fault. Um, that their defense is is abysmal. Um, DeAndre Jordan should not be playing this many minutes for them. They need to retool that roster a little bit. So that's why it's going unnoticed. But you're right. Like, I, I don't know like why we aren't talking enough about Durant and the fact that this guy looks the exact same as he did before the Achilles injury. 
for the yeah, most it's almost like we don't even we shouldn't even talk about him as a basketball player just like a pure medical marvel right like i yeah. don't need to compare him to Jokic and who's been better i just really need to compare him to anything that we expected post achilles and you know john wall was the other guy who came back and he looks like he's 80 percent of the former self which is kind of what you know, maybe a little bit better than what some people thought, but sort of like, hey, he's got the similar limitations that you would think coming off this injury. And with 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 Durant, you wouldn't even know that he was hurt last season with that yeah. type of. And, and the Nets, their defense is bad. They've also had like a couple of really, really big, monumental things that have happened. One was the Kyrie absence, and then of course two was the Harden trade, and so. They're working themselves into shape. I think they'll be fine, um, but they also have not looked good. Um, I'll just say the Cleveland losses, and then they played the Heat, who didn't have Hero or Butler, and you know one close win, one comeback win. It just hasn't felt comfortable yet. But trying to integrate what they're trying to integrate, along with having zero plus defenders on their roster, is not going to be easy. Um, I know they're in the market for a center. Some people are saying Javale McGee. If he mm-hmm. is the key to your title, yes. host, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, like, I just love how it's being reported, like, oh, the Nets are, you know, looking to go after JaVale McGee as if he's, like, this key uh, addition that's going to change everything for them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hey, look, they're, they're despite the ups and downs, despite Kyrie being gone, despite trying to incorporate Harden, it's going to be messy. Look, anytime you have – it's the same thing the Heat went through that first year. They started off 9-8. Right. and eight. Everyone forgets, yeah. right? Because they didn't know how to make it work with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. At the end of the day, the the Nets are still fifth right now in the East. They'll make the playoffs, and then that talent's going to be good enough for them to be good. So. Yeah, the only super team that sort of flawlessly – I guess two teams that you know, from the start didn't have any problems were the 07-08 Celtics yep. and the 15-16 Warriors. I said 16-17 Warriors. Um, yeah. Which was only adding one piece. It was not even adding, you know, right. more than one, one piece. And they also, like in the Celtics case, they're all defense oriented. They weren't the same type of player. And in the Warriors case, it was one piece, but they all played off the ball well with this Nets experiment. We've never seen anything like it. Yep. Um, all right. So the fifth guy I think that's in this same stratosphere is Kawhi Leonard, who, you know, the Clippers feels like one of those teams that's just purely wait and see. Like, don't talk yeah. to me until April, May, June. Um, yep. They've proven what they need to prove in the regular season. They're going to kick people's asses when they're all there. Do they have the mental fortitude to make it count in the playoffs? Kawhi has proven it elsewhere. Uh, he hasn't done it necessarily here. Um, but him and Paul George are playing outside of their minds. Uh, they're both putting up 50, 40, 90 seasons. You know, Kawhi has probably been a little bit more important. They lost tonight without either of them. But other than that, I think they're either first or second in the West, kind of trading places with the Lakers. And it really feels like we're headed to the clash that we didn't get last season. Yeah, and, and Kawhi has been um, a little bit more of a playmaker this year. Uh, I think he's averaging a career high in assists, which is something that they really need. Um, and they still lack in terms of when you look at their roster, I think it's still somewhat of a hole. Um, but I, I think he, yeah, he's having a great season efficient as always the same things, but he's, he is, um, more doing a little bit more playmaking, but the pro- the bad thing for the Clippers is nothing is going to get recognized. Like, yeah, I, just as because, maybe it shouldn't, right? Yeah. As maybe it shouldn't. And because this team is built to win a title. And so even if Kawhi's numbers go up even a little bit more, there's no way he wins the MVP because people don't want to reward that until they see, um, that this team is for real. So Right. It's like like we didn't even mention Giannis yet, who's won the last two MVPs. Yeah. And honestly, given his numbers, you could make a very compelling case. He should be in the top five somewhere. Yeah. Um, but we've, we, we've done this dance. And I think it's not just about voter fatigue, because that implies that someone's deserving, but you know you don't feel like voting for him. It's more of like, you know, the boy who cried wolf in a way of like, yeah, we're not going to fall for this again until you prove us wrong. Um, exactly. I think with the Clippers, you know, the playmaking Kawhi has kind of sacrificed a little bit of his defensive intensity for some (laughs) of the increased load he's taken offensively. That Clippers defense is not very good. Um, you remember they gave Luke Kennard $64 million? Um, how did that, how's that going so (laughs) far? Um, but you know, they're, their problem is going to be who can get them into their offensive sets. Um, I mentioned Kyle Lowry as a potential trade chip with Beverly and Lou Will. 
I also wonder if there's going to be buyout guys available, like a George Hill would be perfect if Oklahoma City decides to to kind of move on from him. But they're currently in the play-in tournament, which is, I don't think, part of their plan. But I don't know. He, <laughs> Presti can't stop them from winning games. I don't know. what he, He's got Lou Dort running the offense, and it's working. So I'm not sure what's going on over there. But that's the one piece they need to add. Rim protector, maybe. But more importantly to me is just who can get them into their offense in a way that's not going to be super taxing to, to Kawhi and PG in the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. All right. So before we go, we also wanted to, you know, quickly note, this is, of course, the one-year anniversary of uh, Kobe and Gigi Bryant and the others on the plane or the helicopter passing. Um, I remember, I think we'll never forget kind of where we were when we heard the news and and the ensuing sort of coverage, thoughts we recorded, uh, I think, later that week. And I actually went back and listened to that episode just because it's, it's kind of crazy uh, that it's been a year. Uh, it's been a hell of a year um, that I think has gone in a lot of different directions than maybe what we had anticipated at the time. Um, it, it's still as hard to kind of believe and, and come to terms with as it was back then, right? Like Kobe's a legend and Kobe's young. Kobe was supposed to be around forever and was going to be such a uh you know vocal and and recognized part of the game i think he was someone who always wanted to give back you know kind of reminded me when Shaq was going after donovan mitchell for no reason um about how much kobe liked to work with the younger generation and took pride in sort of passing on some of those skills and we need a lot more of that in today's game where it isn't about cranky legends and i think it's another reminder of how much we didn't get a chance to to experience so you know that, that that's what I would say. I, I don't know. Yeah, and he missed the the crazy part was the Lakers won a title. Um, the you know the franchise finally back on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, after you know they hadn't won a title since since they won it with Kobe, right? So um, that's something he, he he didn't really get to see. And and I mean if you think about the year, like a tumultuous year and you know, with, with Black Lives Matter and kind of all the social injustice that happened, he could have been also one of those those voices, um, mm-hmm. right? Someone who could have really been that inspirational voice, the one to kind of, uh, you know, because even, even a guy like Jordan, right, who stayed away from politics and, and speaking out about these matters was someone who's vocal and kind of present um, when all this was going on. And I think Kobe would have been definitely a um, a... a a strong voice and a needed voice while that was happening. So he, he wasn't there for that either. And I think it's, it is crazy. It's been a year. It's been a, a weird year. Um, but hopefully, you know, I, like you said, the, the, I, I hope, you know, I see the pettiness with Shaq and some of these guys, and I just hope that um, they do take their cues from Kobe and, uh, and serve as kind of the mentor for the the younger generation instead of, these guys always trying to put them down. Um, yeah, you know, it's like it doesn't have to be a competition. I think yeah, Kobe and, understood, right? Like yep. we're trying to make everyone better. We're trying to continue to expand the reach and the, the the value of being a basketball player. And I don't know if it's like a jealousy or if it's like a you know we're still on top. You want you to recognize there's just this like you said the pettiness that I don't think he showed in his post playing days. Um, but I yeah I think the others could could definitely learn from. Yeah, it's it's sad, and uh, you know I think the Kobe's family and Vanessa, they, I think they asked for not too much uh, the tributes and, and yeah. kind of hoopla around it this year, right? So I think that's why it's been a little bit more muted. Um, we have seen people speak out in different ways, but I think um, otherwise, normally we'd probably see an outpouring of things around the league and different right. ways teams uh, commemorate him. But I, you know, I, I understand why the family doesn't want that and. Um, but I think it's still good that we remember, you know, it, we do talk about it and, uh, it was yeah, a sad I mean, it's, moment. It's, it's always, it's always strange when someone who is essentially a deity to so many people, you have to recall, remember, they're also a person, a family yep. member to others. And it's like a, it's like a balance that needs to be struck. I'm glad the NBA went a little bit towards their wishes. I know some fans don't necessarily agree, but I think that's just where you get lost in understanding, you know, what's what and like what matters. So, um, 
But yeah, I think we we miss him. Obviously, I think like he said in so many different ways in 2020, I feel like he would have been a unifying voice um, and also a really important one. So rest in peace to the Mamba, um, and you know we move on. We try to get better. Yep, and um, yeah, and I think you wrapped that up well. <laughs> Nothing right. more to say on that. Yep. All right. So that's it for us uh, this week. We will be back to you next week with another episode, a little Super Bowl preview and talking about all things NBA as well. Please rate, review and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com and we will talk to you next week.